So I've been gone for a while. Actually, I've been gone a lot in the last few months. So it's really, I notice sitting here, what a pleasure it is to actually be here and to um, practice together um, with everybody. And I was appreciating it. And then I remembered, oh, it's Thanksgiving weekend. So I thought it might be um, appropriate to reflect on gratitude um, tonight. And, and co partly because I was feeling grateful to be sitting here. I was being grateful for the field of practice that's here. And that includes all of us, but also includes everybody who's sat here with this group forever. Um, you know, I was in Hawaii and um, I was on retreat, but then I was also teaching a retreat. And, um, and it was a very different field. And, and this is one of the kind of fun things about teaching is you actually start to get a little sensitivity to the group or the field or the the um, space where you're teaching and 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 there's there's um it's different with different groups some groups you, it's not so easy to meditate in some groups it's like Shoo. i actually felt that tonight you may not have felt that but i felt that tonight i felt the the a certain level of relaxation and of of um, tapping into the group energy um, and it partly it happens more the more you're with any group that you get more comfortable and more open to that energy but also it's just the combined or cumulative energies that happen within a group and you know it's not something I don't think they've done a lot of scientific research about this but there is a lot of anecdotal information if you talk to meditation pe teachers or people who meditate a lot and sit with different groups of people. It's just kind of a known reality. Um, and so I was feeling grateful for us sitting here together and in this church and, and this group in some form or another has been sitting together on Sunday nights for 12, almost 12 years now, 11 and a half years. And just that cumulative orientation of heart and mind and the power of that, the goodness of it, and the pleasure of it. I was also um, regretting a little that I didn't think about gratitude before I came here particularly because I have a really great gratitude talk that I could have given if I had the talk with me. <laughs> but I don't have the talk, so I'm going to improvise a little gratitude talk, and maybe, maybe we'll improvise some of it together. Um, when I think about gratitude, one of the things... Um, well, well, let me give a little context first in the Buddhist tradition. In the Buddhist tradition, there's not much said about gratitude. It's more of an implicit quality of heart than an explicit quality of heart. You don't see the Buddha talking about being grateful in the text. You don't see a lot about it in general. You know, it's not in any of the lists. Like in the lists of, of the uh, awakened heart, the teachings of the awakened heart, there's there's um, 
uh, love and compassion and joy and equanimity, but there's not gratitude. It's not listed there. And personally, I've often thought that if we were to add to that list, gratitude would be the quality we would add. That it's such a beautiful quality of heart and mind when we feel or experience gratitude for any reason. Doesn't matter what the reason. Doesn't have to be a big lofty um, reason that we feel gratitude or something spiritual or anything like that. But just just to <coughs> reflect for yourself for a second about when you felt gratitude or something or somebody you felt gratitude towards, and what that quality of heart is like, what that state of mind is like. And in the, and you could reflect. I'm going to talk over your reflection a little bit. Um, I'll give you a moment to reflect. In the monastic tradition, the one place that I see gratitude is that in generally in most of the uh, Theravadan tradition. If you're a monastic, if you've taken robes and devoted yourself in that way to the Buddhist tradition, then once a day generally, you'll acknowledge, you'll give thanks for what are called the four requisites. And because a monk or a nun lives very, very simply, um, um, they don't have much. Um, and they don't do much, actually. Right? They're not like going out to the movies and grateful for a good movie or, you know, they don't do entertainment. Uh, I'll actually tell you a funny little story uh, that happened recently, kind of highlights this in a certain way. I was, uh, just since I've been back, I was talking with Tanisara Bhikkhu, who actually we have some free books of his over there. We just have a few left. I'll bring more next week. And I was chatting with him. We hadn't talked in a few months and we were just checking in and just, you know, kind of, how are you? And I'd asked him and he'd, he'd called a number of months ago and I was really bad at getting back to him. And so I was getting back and, you know, how are you? How you've been? What are you doing? And he was telling me what he's been doing. He'd been on this panel and there'd been this argument about faith and he didn't get in the argument, but he really, he got really, um, uh, inspired to write about faith, so he's writing about faith, and and he's doing this, and he's working on this, and he's working on that, and he's telling me all these things he's doing, and then all of a sudden he says, "So, what are you working on?" And and this, I was very innocent, and I'd just come back from Hawaii where I was on a retreat, but also it was a retreat where I could play, so I was doing a lot of playing, you know, I was swimming and doing other things. I said, "Oh, I've been working on my golf stroke," you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'd never been golfing before, and somebody took me golfing, so I was like really interested. Oh, how do you hit the ball? And, and there was this dead silence. You know, like, <laughs> he, 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 he's not a big golfer. <laughs> and I said, oh, I tried to, I tried to redeem myself. I said, oh, it's a lot like meditation. <laughs> No, you have to concentrate and be aware. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but so if you're monastic, you don't you're not going golfing or swimming or you know generally there's especially you know and it's different. There's some fluctuation or variation depending on which 
um, tradition you're in. And even within like the Theravada, there'll be a variation if you're a Burmese monk or if you're a Thai monk or, or different among the Thai forest monks. Some will do more, be more austere than others. And, and he's on the steer side. He's definitely not going to go swimming. I did once go swimming in the bay with Ajahn Amaro, who's like, he's a more of a kind of fun monk. And <laughs> <laughs> it's true, <laughs> you know. He, so in, anyhow, um, and so the monastic world is very, very simple. But every day they give thanks for food, clothes, shelter, and medicine. And these are the four requisites. These are the four things basically needed to live and that they have as monastics. And so every day they're offering their thanks, their gratitude for what's given them. And it, it points, one of the reasons I like to mention this is it points to the mutuality of gratitude. That generally we feel grateful because something's been given in some way or shape or form. Whether we're grateful for how somebody treated us or for um, maybe it's a performance we saw, beautiful dance or theater or music and we're grateful for how it's impacted us. Um, something's been given. Um, often we might be grateful to people because of uh, what we learned from them, teachers sometimes friends, from the kind of attention we're given. Um, sometimes we're grateful to places, to, to the beauty of a place, like let's say the volcano at Hawaii. I mean, it's just so stark and so beautiful. And, and, and the feeling of gratitude can arise easily within the uh, majesty of the, of the natural world. It's often a place where people feel grateful. Um, sometimes, oddly enough, or paradoxically, um, we may even feel grateful for some of the difficulties we have at some point. Maybe you can, you can reflect on this for yourself, but there's times when certain difficulties come, maybe a relationship breaks up or some health difficulties or and at first we resist and we resist and we resist. And then it's sometimes, not always, but sometimes at a certain point that can shift. And we actually open to the difficulty. We really, the difficulty becomes our practice. And then there's a kind of gratitude. Um, people, places, um, things. You know, sometimes we're really grateful for the things that we have. Um, and I mean, things that bring us pleasure or joy. Sometimes we're grateful for bicycles or bikes. I, I, I like to ride my bike and I, I love one of my bikes. It's, it's a great joy and appreciation and gratitude. Gratitude for the design and the technology and the whole um, creative process that human beings can create really good things, beautiful things. And, you know, it might be different for other people. It might Some people might love computers and be grateful for that. Or some people may love, I don't know, furniture. Grateful for that design. 
you can, and I hope you're reflecting as I talk about what it is you're grateful for or where do you recognize your own gratitude. Personally, I, I feel the, the deepest gratitude for practice, for the Dharma, for the teachings of liberation, for the teachings of freedom, for teachings that um, um, help people understand life, that help people, first of all, learn how to deal with the vicissitudes or the difficulties of human life, and then to see the possibility for transformation within those difficulties, the possibilities for awakening even within those difficulties. And so sometimes, you know, and, and I want to be careful here because gratitude can get a little, um, I don't know, a little Pollyanna at times. And so I'm not talking about, oh, we're supposed to feel grateful every moment, although that may be possible. But that, that would probably um, indicate a lot of freedom, a tremendous amount of freedom. But just in general, to, to begin to recognize gratitude and what we're grateful for can help bring a certain level of balance to our heart and mind. Um, and some people take on gratitude as a practice. Like they, they simply reflect once a day, okay, what am I grateful for today? Well, it was a shitty day here and it was hard here and this was a drag. Oh, but this was really beautiful, or this was really good, or this was really pleasurable, or delightful, or satisfying. Or, you know, if you're really having a hard time, this simply wasn't suffering, this, you know, hour or moment. And... As I said, it's not talked about so much explicitly in Buddhism, but it's there, it's more implicit. The monks and nuns acknowledging every day just the simple reality of what they have, clothes and shelter, food and medicine. Just, just that simplicity of what we need to survive. But also it's, it's implicit like there's a, a phrase that you'll hear in Buddhism often and the phrase is precious human birth. Precious human birth. And it's pointed to, um, especially in the Tibetan tradition, to pay attention, to, to become aware of how precious our human birth is. That we take it for granted. And this is one of the correlates with gratitude. When we're grateful, we're not taking things for granted we're actually paying attention to reality in a certain way that we're appreciating what's been given. And so, um, to pay attention to the fact that human birth is tentative, is temporal, is not permanent, is somewhat mysterious how that happens, how we incarnate as a consciousness, an embodied consciousness that's only here for a short time, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and, and that's it. 
And we seem to be, I don't know if we're the only species, but we seem to be one of the few species that is really aware of that. Has the possibility of being aware of the poignancy or the preciousness of life. And that we can appreciate that. And partly to have um, to reflect on precious human birth um, um, leads us to another um, uh, implicit kind of gratitude in Buddhism. Um, appreciating our birth, appreciating the fact that we're alive, that we're sentient and conscious and that this consciousness has the possibility of awakening, of realizing Buddha nature, true nature, reality, whatever language you want to use to describe what's possible for us in this precious human birth. Um, but also there's another word that we could use. It's more in the Theravadan tradition. And the word is samvega. And samvega looks at the precious human birth and, see, and, and brings a sense of passion to practice brings a sense of urgency with the appreciation. That we're grateful for this time and this possibility and that brings a sense not only of gratitude but of really using our time wisely. As wisely as possible. As fully as possible in order to awaken, in order to alleviate suffering for ourselves, for the people we know and love and care about, for everybody, for all beings. So gratitude in the monastic tradition, in the precious human birth, implication of that, in the implication of some vega. And there's a kind of gratitude that can also come that I often feel which is about lineage. Which is about our connection to human beings. Not just the human beings who are here now but human beings who for at least um, 2,600 years have kept this certain flavor of human wisdom alive. That that it's really human beings just like us with the same motivations, the same fears, the same uh, hopes or dreams, the same questioning of reality who have kept the Buddha Dharma alive with their effort, with their practice, with their sincerity. In the various cultures in India and Southeast Asia and Burma and Thailand, Sri Lanka and China and Japan and Tibet, Bhutan and then here in the West you know our our lineage is shorter here in the West but it's the same stream it's the same stream that started with the Buddha and often people feel a lot of gratitude to the Buddha for his passion devotion his commitment his resolve, his awakening, his willingness to, you know, in some sense, put it all on the line. He gave up everything.
to follow his heart, really, to follow his passion of awakening. And then to see that it's possible to be a light for the world, for us. And it's interesting, personally, when I think of people, it's not always that lofty. It's not just, though, like the Buddha and the Buddhas. You know, um, when I, in the talk that I wrote about gratitude, it was actually, it, I wrote it after Allen Ginsberg died. And Allen Ginsberg had been uh, not exactly a friend, but I hung out with him in New York a little bit. And um, actually, I first saw him in Detroit when I was 16. He, he gave a poetry reading at, uh, at a kind of beatnik place in Detroit, the artist's workshop. And then when I moved to New York, I spent some time with him and around him. And, and um, he had a big influence on my life. And when he died, I just felt how much gratitude I had for Allen Ginsberg, for, his, um, for, for what I call his lion's roar. The Buddha's awakening is called his lion's roar. But Allen also had this great lion's roar. He was quite willing to be real his whole life, quite willing to say the truth um, of how he saw things. Um, and the poem Howl especially had a, had a really big impact on, on my life. Uh, quite freeing. And the poem, if you don't know the poem, the poem begins with him um, speaking the truth of the suffering that he and his friends, the beatniks, um, uh, suffered as they tried to find reality in America in the 50s, which was a very strange era and uh, wasn't such a truthful era. There was a lot of um, personas, a lot of falseness, and they were looking for what was real. And so you read about their suffering and the difficulty they had. And he, it's, it's really, a, um, it's the, the, the poem is written like a jazz um, piece where it's riff after riff after riff after riff, variation on the same theme of the suffering that was happening as they, in the, the beginning, just to give you a little taste, he says, I saw the best minds of my generation uh, destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn, looking for an angry fix. And then he goes on to describe them. He says, I think the next line starts, angel-headed hipsters looking for that ancient heavenly connection in the... In the dynamo of night I'm, I'm, I'm messing it up now but something like that so what he's describing is the suffering as they're looking for reality as they're looking for awakening as they're looking for the, the connection to the numinous to God, to the divine, to Buddha whatever words you want to use and then um, the second section he talks about the cause of the suffering Malik he calls it Malik destroyer of men, the creation of concrete, and, um, and the whole um, uh, industrial um, denigration of humanity. And, and so he really rails against what destroys humanness. 
And then the third section is very personal. It's about his friend Carl Solomon, who the poem is dedicated to. And, and, the, and, it's, and Carl Solomon's in a mental institution. And it's really Alan's uh, roar of compassion. And so the cadences are, the refrain of each cadence is, I'm with you in Rockland. I'm with you in the mental institution. I'm with you in Rockland. You know, where you've lost the ping, uh, the, the ping pong. Uh, oh, I wish I had the poem. I can't remember it. You've lost, you've, you've fallen into the abyss in the ping pong of your mind, something like that. I'm with you in Rockland. And it's his love of his friend and his care, his compassion. And so that's the, the poem. And then there's the footnote to Howell. And this is partly why, why I'm giving you the whole poem. Because you have the suffering, you have the, the, um, his roar against the suffering, you have the compassion. And then the footnote is um, his, his gratitude for everything. And it starts holy, 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 holy. The world is holy. The eye is holy. The ear is holy. He goes through all the parts of the body are holy. You know, and then he starts talking about his friends. You know, all his friends are holy, whether it's, um, you know, Kerouac is holy, or Burroughs is holy, or Hunky is holy, or Carl Solomon is holy. And then he goes through every place, you know, Istanbul is holy, and Geneva is holy, and New York is holy, San Francisco is holy. He has a little caveat, it's interesting, there's a little caveat about L.A. He doesn't say L.A. is holy. (laughs) Really, he says, who digs L.A. is L.A. And that's, he leaves it at that. (laughs) I always thought that was interesting. But it's his, it's his perspective from awakening, from freedom. He actually sees, knows the holiness of each moment, the beauty of each moment. And so it's a different kind of gratitude. And this is the real depth of where gratitude can come from, is when we actually see really clearly the nature of reality. If we see how impeccable each moment is, if we see how unreplicable each moment is. When we see from that perspective, gratitude arises very naturally. It's not something we do or have to figure out or even reflect on. And, and from that perspective, then you hear a teaching like Suzuki Roshi who says, just to be alive is enough. Just to be alive is enough. And then the state of gratitude is a state of awakening. It's a state of being awake to the way things are. We see the preciousness, we see the temporality, we see the uniqueness, we see the beauty of what's being given. And we see it from our own beauty, we see it from our own heart. That if, you, if you're experiencing gratitude, it's such a pleasurable experience of the heart. It's not, it can't, you can't have a gratitude that's ego-centered in a certain way. Real gratitude is never ego-centered. Real gratitude always has a certain kind of humility and appreciation in it. 
And often, in, in, in very deep states of gratitude, people will weep. You know, and it can, and it can seem confusing. Why, why, you know, why did the tears come? And I think it's something about how deep we can feel the beauty of our heart. And that, and that from that depth, the tears is, are just part of it. The poignancy is part of it. I have to get back now. I went off on a little tangent when I started talking about Allen Ginsberg because I just wanted to talk about some ordinary gratitude also. Because some, somebody I often felt gratitude towards as I grew up was um, a hockey player named Gordie Howe. And Gordie Howe was this really great hockey player in Detroit where I grew up. And I was a kid and I liked hockey and... and um, and I, uh, and I really, Gordie Howe was one of my heroes. And I met, I got to meet him. And what I felt grateful for was how kind he was. Because I was a kid working at the Michigan State Fair, selling, working for my uncle, selling like pork pie hats and Cupid dolls and stuffed animals. And it was a, you know, it was a gig when you're 12. It was okay. And, it was a little, and I remember I was sitting on a stool and Gordie Howe walked up with his family. And, um, you know, he's, I'm 12, he's my hero, I play hockey. And I fell off the stool <laughs> backwards. And he was so kind. He was so sweet. He, he stayed there. He, you know, he got that. He had, like, shook me up a little bit. So... And then we hung out talking, and he gave me autographs and all this stuff. And he was just the sweetest guy. And he was I also, so I felt grateful for his kindness, but I also felt grateful for something else. At least for me, he was the first artist I really got. And by that, what I mean, if you saw Gordie Howe play, he had a certain artistry and grace. And so he would do this thing. He'd look like he was skating slower than other people, and then he would be ahead of them. He had that kind of artistry. It's like when you see an artist and they make it look effortless, and you don't see any of the work involved. You just see the beauty of the art. That's how Gordie Howe played hockey. And it, and it, it struck, I could see it with him. And so I felt like he was the first person who turned me on to art in a certain way. And, uh, and I always appreciated and felt grateful to him for how devoted he was to his practice, hockey, and how, how much he'd given and how good he was. It, was. it was so beautiful to watch him be a hockey player. I'm just trying to give some, some breadth to the possibility of gratitude. So I think I'll stop here. And let's see what what do you think? What's what do you see about gratitude? Any reflections or or reactions or comments about gratitude? Making difficulty the practice.
Difficulty is the practice. Really, truly. You know, part of practice is to learn the skills, the, um, the uh, meditative skills to find uh, a place to work with difficulty that um, allows it to um, release. And by release, I mean, doesn't necessarily change the outer circumstances, but that the inner circumstances, the inner holding, the inner reactivity, the inner judgment, um, doesn't, doesn't have its um, thrall, doesn't hold us in its thrall. And then what's released is our um, intelligence, our heart, our kindness, our compassion, our wisdom is what's released in order to, to deal with the vicissitudes and the difficulties of being a human being, which are, um, as you know, ongoing and you know, multi-layered and varied and um, don't stop. And so the, the freedom that is possible is not that we're going to fix anything particularly. That may happen along the way. That's always nice when things work out. But that we can find some inner sense of freedom, balance, awakening, kindness, in which to live a human life. And live it not only as a human life, but to come to a certain kind of maturity that's sometimes called awakening or freedom or wisdom or compassion. And, and in that sense, at a certain point, the difficulties, usually it's a little more in retrospect, okay? Realistically, it's like not in the moment when we're really suffering and something's really hard and it's just hard. We're usually not feeling grateful for it then. Later, though, at some point, we can have this sense of, oh, I we actually learned so much. I grew so much there. I'm so grateful that actually happened to me. At the time, I never would have said that, right? At the time, no way. I wanted it to go away. I didn't want it to be happening. I had all this resistance, fear, contraction. But then at a certain point, there's, there can be, not always, but there can be this actually gratitude for our difficulties. And you're reminding me, in the tr Tibetan tradition, there is a certain prayer that actually asks for the difficulties needed that I may awaken in this life through those difficulties, through that suffering. See, that's where it's nice to actually have the talk because then I could read you the exact thing, but I'm doing the best I can here. Does that give you a sense? Good. I have a new place in, and I have a balcony where you can look out and see a lot of the buildings in the city. And I was reflecting on that the other day. All the work and the energy mm. and everything that's gone into building the city. Mm. And it's been really over the last 100 years. Yeah. And a lot of the things even less. Yeah. So, um, sometimes we can look at what's here, physical this kind of physical reality and really appreciate all that's gone into it. I mean, again, it's, it's a very interesting not to take anything for granted. 
seems to be one of the qualities that's in play when we're grateful. And so not to take the city for granted, let's say, or even the electric light for granted. You know, we, t- we so take it for granted. But if we really look at things, design, the whole history of, you know, I, I mean, if you really start looking at a certain level, you can see the whole history of humanity in anything. The whole evolution of the human species and what's possible and the good things that are possible. Buildings are actually a pretty decent thing. You know, we know the bad things. That, that's pretty obvious. But it, sometimes it's very helpful to look and not take things for granted and see the good things. You know, ventilation systems. That's a good thing if you're going to have a building of this size. Or, you know, or you know, nice wood floor is nice. It's actually a lot warmer than the other floor we had, which was tile floor, which is probably an older form of floor. I know in, in Gaia House, in, in, which is one of our sister uh, retreat centers in England, it's a, it's a much older building. It has these huge stones as part of the floor. And it's really beautiful. I love it, but it's freezing in there. So, you know, Spirit Rock, we have these floors that are heated. I don't know if you know that. In the meditation hall, the floor is heated. You know, some kind of water, natural thing. It's, it's good. Uh, I'm uh, reflecting on a loss that I had this year. I played tennis for years with a fellow about my age who succumbed to brain cancer. And uh, it was sudden and swift. Uh, but I had the opportunity to be with him uh, a great deal in the last few weeks of his life. Mm. And I found myself incredibly grateful yeah. for the opportunity to find depths in myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what that means to me uh, about gratitude in this case is something about the interconnectedness of us all. Yeah. And that we are really, um, you know, part of a weave of, of life, but at some facial level, we don't really experience it because we're so busy off in our egos doing our work, doing whatever we do. Mm-hmm. And then something breaks us. Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's really true. Often people will say just what you're saying, like the opportunity to be with someone who's dying. I mean, you know, if, if you tell somebody that, it doesn't sound like you know, a great thing. But if you actually have had the experience of, you know, having a certain kind of time with someone who has some consciousness uh, around dying and just your own being, just to witness the miracle of death. It's interesting how we often, I never said that before, but usually we say the miracle of life, right? Like being around the birth and being at the miracle of life. But it's the same. It's the same movement, birth and death. 
And it is. It, it has this kind of miraculous or it can have this kind of grace <coughs> that we're grateful just to be there. Just to be have that kind of time, because it does it 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 rends the veils of conventional reality, and it really often will um, support our practice. Or for some people, it's the initiatory movement to practice, because it 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 breaks through the trance we live in, that things will last forever, or that. I, I don't even know, you know, that we all know this trance that we get into, that things are just some way or we're just going through life in some kind of trance-like way. We don't actually see who's here or what's here. We don't see people in, in a real way. And then something will happen, and, and in both in birth and death, I believe, that happens. I know when my daughter was born, I remember leaving the hospital we were in a, what was called at the time an alternative birth center in the hospital. And it was just amazing. I'd never been at a birth before and to have her see her born and be part of it. And then, you know, a f- number of hours later, I went out and I was walking down the street and I could see every person as a little baby. I could see each person. I could, it wasn't like you just, I just could not see the whole thing. And and the same with death at times. You know, you walk out after being with somebody who's died and it's like you just want people to wake up. It's like, hey, we're here. And it won't last forever. Mm. Um, gratitude is, a, is definitely um, a really beautiful, beautiful quality of the art. Can, can you can you speak up a little bit? Yeah. I'll try to. I'll repeat too. Gratitude is definitely a, um, a really beautiful quality of the heart, and uh, and um, I've been noticing more and more that uh, um, um, together with that with that beautifulness that comes up from from feeling grateful, for me has been like, uh, more and more has been when whenever I feel gratitude about something that has happened to me or something that I have. There is a there is an opening to compassion, mm. and by that I mean that I, you know I'm I'm very grateful about what's happening to me, and and uh, my mind somehow semi-consciously goes also to those people that they don't have mm-hmm. whatever has happened to me or they don't have the thing that I'm that I'm grateful about it, and uh, and uh, so that that kind of compassion it's 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 another. Uh, um <coughs> It's another beautiful quality of the heart that together those those two things they they really they really uh, complement each other. Okay, let me. Really beautiful. Okay, let me see if I can just say a little bit of what you said, which is um, for uh, Stefano um, that with gratitude seems to come quite naturally compassion, that they seem to resonate uh, for one another for you. And that to be grateful and feel grateful for something that you have or see or also brings a certain kind of compassion and acknowledgement of people who don't have or you know haven't had the same or something might it might not might not have the opportunity etc and that the, it's it's a it's a certain kind of resonance in the heart and and in the teachings on the Brahma Viharas, on the divine states of heart, um, 
they describe them as love and compassion and joy and equanimity. And so they, they're discriminated in those four qualities. But really, there's that it's still one heart. It just has this morphic quality to express itself in different ways. And I think you're feeling that expression quite, quite fully. And sometimes, at least while I was sitting here, I was thinking about um, the third Brahma-vihara of joy, mudita, is often called sympathetic joy or um, altruistic joy. Um, I like to use the word just joy, but sometimes it's also called appreciative joy. And that may be the closest in Buddhism to gratitude, appreciative joy, because there's an appreciation and a heartful a love and, and delight in, in something. You turned into what? I mean, because of like the hardest uh-huh. period of my life, mm-hmm. where I was living a kind of self-destructive life, it, it led me to my career path, my my, my spiritual path, mm-hmm. my right. all that I'm doing today. Right. So I'm, I have to say that that even though at that time I didn't see it at all, right. uh, uh, today I look back and it, it's a great source of, of gratefulness. Great. Thank you. Any everybody hear that? No. Yes? Okay, good. Um, when I tried to get out of the, like, kind of deep in the throes of a drug addiction, it was suggested that I cultivate gratitude as a tool that could help for that. And, uh, and I was like, well, I already have that. You know, if somebody gives you something, you say thanks before they think you're a jerk, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, so that was my whole idea of it, you know, and it was basically like, well, you need to do a little more study. So yeah. I was looking into that. Yeah. And uh, I went and got uh, a lot of Tikkat Hans teachings. Uh-huh. Be grateful to the chair for holding you up. You uh-huh. know, be grateful to the earth for supporting the way you walk on it. And I still had to, but I'm a person. That's what I do. You know, the earth is supposed to hold me up. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh, it's, good. it's good to see there might be a certain assumption there. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. So, like, I just kept looking into it and using it just as a practice. Uh-huh. lovely. It's an interesting piece you're bringing up, which is um, the assumption. One thing that we like, when we're feeling gratitude, we're not assuming we should get whatever we're grateful for. We're just actually grateful for it. And then the other piece, which is in, I hadn't thought about, which has to do with um, time and space. 
um, you know, if you do take on a practice like Year to Live, or if you just realize that you're dying, right? And you have you we actually don't know how long we have to live, right? Then then we realize that time is one of the things that creates a trance. That there's an assumption of time that's going to last forever in some way, and when that when that assumption is let go of, that creates a whole different reality. Thank you. Could you elaborate on why um, gratitude is not more central in Buddhism? Could I elaborate on why gratitude is not more central in Buddhism? You know, I, I don't know. I was I was reflecting on that a little bit. I wonder about, well, where was that? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know con, um, culturally where that concept was at the time of the Buddha. Like, was that a normal concept at that time, or is that a more recent concept? I, I actually don't know. It's it's an interesting question to consider why it's not more central. I'd be willing to do a little research on it and let you know what I find out. Uh, right now, I, I'm just speculating that, um, yeah, you just don't see it. And, and so it's a little surprising given, you know, Buddha seems to cover human reality pretty thoroughly. And, but, but there's not a lot about that. Let's see. that there's some new science around um, studying the effects of gratitude on the brain uh-huh. and that it's um, you know there's a long term that there's a long term change in the, the brain mm. um, that gratitude is a profoundly positive yeah. Thank you. So the comment is that that there's more um, scientific study about the effect of gratitude on the brain, and that it's a very positive um, uh, impact. It's interesting, you know. I'm, partly, I'm talking about it because of Thanksgiving, and um, and it's it's actually um, so a little confusing to have a holiday. It's actually really nice to have a holiday dedicated to gratitude. But there's something about our history that makes it a little odd. You know, given that gratitude was for the Native American people helping out the pilgrims and all that kind of stuff. And then, I don't know, it just, my mind's just went there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.